For millions of years, humans have pounded the table from across the globe. But none have come close to pounding it like these two gentlemen. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 25 of Pounding the Table. We are officially 75 episodes away from 100, and so we will inherently call this episode the Quarter Pounder. This past week, the market gods were kind to Pound Nation, so this week, we're giving it all back with some Super Bowl cash on Twitter. But more importantly, this episode, we're going to be twisting something nice up, flying (laughs) super high as we crack open Tony's brain once again. We're going to be answering lots of questions here from Pound Nation. I'm happy to come back just to answer some questions because you know what, Avi, the table is set. You know, we have such great pounds just working for us week in and week out that We don't really need to dive in for a bunch of new pounds right now. We can just sit there and enjoy the meal. And for those of you who are new, Pounding the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony Ohai and yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here, everybody knows the rules and thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice recommendations or solicitations and with that being said Avi as we always do it let's kick it off sounds like you drank a celsius in between the uh intro and the disclaimer there I had to chug one yeah (laughs) very excited this week so before all the pounders tune out Tony we do have two stocks that we will be diving into towards the end of the episode but before we dive in I want to start out you mentioned that your mother this week gave you some advice right what was that advice and why was it so powerful to you Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times in life where you have money and then you don't have money and then you have money again and you don't have money. And the goal is to always be free and have that peak life. So you always want to have security, which, you know, comes through the form of money these days. Um, And so when you have so much gain, like you have such a great thing that happened in your portfolio, great year in the markets, like that's when you pay off your debts. That's when you set yourself up, you know, put some cash away in random other things. I've been buying Pokemon cards, hand over fist and like random markets, scooping up that entire market just to like diversify some of my assets and like pay off all my debts, my parents' debts and stuff. So it's important to take care of those things when you can. You got the Charmander or the Charmeleons or whatever they were. It's the Charizard and I got a few of them. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, Paying it forward is actually one of my favorite movies and you paid it forward even to me prior to the episode. You mentioned the flowers are blossoming. You don't have to plant more trees, Avi. Tony, the bonsai market is going insane. What exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's really, really hard to manage a garden when you've got a crap ton of trees everywhere, right? You've got brush coming in and out of everywhere. You've got weeds coming. You got, you know, bugs and everything because you haven't tended to all the trees. But like, you, if you just keep it concentrated in a nice garden that you can keep your eyes on, like a nice basket of stocks, you can switch in, you can come in and out of stocks, you can add to your core, you can trade around it or whatever. 
but you don't need to be finding the next best winner every single week. There's a lot of names that haven't even really begun to show their strength. Like look at how many weeks it took for skills to go to like 46 and like, what a beast. That's a 360% return. And all you had to do was wait a little bit. And now that's long-term gains for me. So am I like selling my skills to dive into something else really quickly? Like not necessarily. Like I actually haven't sold my skills. I love skills. So it's stuff like that. So like now that's become part of my bonsai tree, right? So I don't need to, you know, grow another tree. I'm just sitting there trimming the one I already have. So I got a lot of questions about your daily routine. So we've always talked about <laughs> level, how Tony trades. So let's break this down, Tony. What's your daily routine? We all know that you live in the American Garden Building on West 81st Street. Your name's Anthony Ohion. You're 23 years old. You believe in taking care of yourself. You have a balanced diet, a rigorous exercise routine. And in the morning, if your face is a little puffy, you even put an ice pack while you're doing stomach crunches. You're at, I think I got a thousand now. What's going on there? What's, no, what's my, daily routine? Routine, my daily routine is so different. Like I'll get up at 4 a.m. I'll check the quotes and stuff. If I don't get up at 4 a.m., it's because I'm like pretty confident that my bonsai tree is doing well. So actually what I've noticed is before I started sculpting the portfolio really well, I would get up way earlier than I had to. And I would be less excited than more like, you know, having to be alert and seeing what I have to sell very quickly if I have like shorter term options or what am I over positioned in that I don't really want to hold for a year. So I want to obviously at some point get rid of it, which means I want to sell it when it's up. But what I really just do during my day is like, I'll get up like, like seven, eight o'clock. It depends on the day, honestly. And I'll just sit there and I'll like read everything, trade, get through the day of trading. And then as soon as the market's over, like I'll finish up other work, whatever I have to do, spend a little bit of quality time. Maybe I go, I go outside for a little bit. <laughs> finally and drink a celsius maybe there and then I'm, I'm just back in the lab i mean like i do this stuff really all the time monday through friday and then saturday sunday we do a podcast we're trying to get it done faster and faster so we can have our weekends back but you know it is what it is you got to love the game so i just had this vision of you just like in this dark room with one candle lit like heartbeats with the audio so that's not how you prepare it <laughs> no, I mean, I trade in bed from half the time because like, I just like it. So it's 929 a.m. Market's about to open. You put down your Celsius clock hits 930. What happens once the bell rings? Like, what are you looking for in day there? Yeah, the first thing I do is I see what's like really making a move. I don't really care if something's not moving, you know, so if it's not moving, it's just like I like to order my positions by what's up and down the most for the day. So I have what's up the most for the day, like ordered from the bottom to the top. And then at the top, it's the highest loss for the day. So I watch the two ends of the portfolio, right? Because like your biggest winners will be your biggest winners, right? Your biggest losses will be your biggest losses. So if you keep an eye on what's moving the most in both directions, right? Like I trim the ones that are exploding at the bottom of my list, the ones that I have in my portfolio that are making those crazy gains. That's when I start trimming. And then I look at the ones that are down and I look at why they're down and whether I add to them or whether I just hedge them or maintain the position. So I'm always doing that. Like as soon as the market opens, I want to see where the flow is. I want to see if the money's going towards tech stocks, if the money's going towards like, you know, IWM, small cap names, if it's just going through everything, it's a tandem run, you know, whatever that is, I like to look for that. But like, it's really important to look at news before the market opens, because like, you'll get price target increases, or you'll see that, you know, this company has X and X news, or it's got a price target upgrade, or whatever it is, like, those stocks will run usually harder for a consistent amount of time during that day. So you know, it's not just how much is it up, it's why it's up. And you know, that that's a big determinant of whether I'll start trimming there or later. Yeah. Is there any like pre market patterns or anything, I guess, you're looking for that indicates to you that holy shit, this stock's about to rip today? 
Yeah, I mean, like, it depends. So, like, Skills the other day, when Skills had that NFL news, which we called, obviously, like, four months ago, and we were the first on that stock, really. But <laughs> the truth is, I mean, so I saw that news come out, and I was like, man, everyone's expecting this. Like, we were calling for this, and it happened. And, like, I'm like, this is amazing. And so I started, like, trickling up in pre-market, and I was like, the news hasn't circulated enough. And the second it opens, so a lot of that will be institutional buying, which happens a lot of the time during the market's open. So as soon as it opened, I knew I wasn't selling any skills because that news was fantastic. Like that news values it at 50 bucks, right? So I saw it ticking up pre-market a lot because of that news. And then it just ran all day. So there's other companies that do that too. Like, and it'll depend on what the news is. It could be a price target increase. It could be, you know, someone's partnering with someone for something, whatever it is, you just, you never know. But those are the things that allow a stock to continue to run for a day or like multiple days versus just market movement that moves into the stock too. So like, I'll wake up and I'll see which basket of stocks is running. Like, are the shorted stocks running? Are like, is this a rotation between tech and SPX or small caps? And whatever is like, you know, kind of trending up, then you look for the names in that sector that are either the strongest or the weakest, because a the strongest usually continue if that's a full day of like, if it's a full day of the growth stocks, you know, then the growth stocks, the strongest ones will run the most, you know, they'll run the best Mm -hmm. from the pre market. Then if it's not that kind of situation, you'll see the ones that are down the most. And if you still like them, it's like, if SE and SQ are up, which they were last week, like 10% one day. And then Fiverr was still down. I'm like, come on, man. Like Fiverr's going to rip to the moon. Like SE and SQ ripped 10%. So that's why I was all in Fiverr because that move hadn't happened yet. So that's what I'm always looking for, opportunities. Yeah, you were pounding Fiverr last week. And uh, thank you for that because I jumped on those as well. It only ran 80 in a week. Yeah, 40, <laughs> quick 40%, nothing to talk about. <laughs> all right, Cocky Tony is full out today. <laughs> Quick question. So throughout the day, obviously you're seeing different patterns, but you know, we talked about it pre-market, you know, you start in the day. At what point do you start to kind of land the plane? I know, you know, we typically see huge rips in the final 10 minutes, but are you like an hour before the, the bell closes? Are you looking for certain things? Yeah, I want to see what they're buying and selling into the end of the day because it's a big indicator of what's going to move the next day. Like there's some stocks that just get bought heavily into the end of the day. And so like you can sometimes predict that news is imminent or what I've noticed is that a lot of the time technicals line up with news, right? Like if a stock's just crashing and crashing and crashing, then it'll first get that piece of good news and it'll completely change the trend and vice versa for a stock that's moving up and then starts moving down. So If I get any of those indicators at any point, I'll definitely make a move off of that. But I like to wait for that to happen. You know, usually the first 15 minutes of the day, that can tell you because sometimes it's a fake out. And the same with the end of the day. So it's not necessarily like, oh, if the stock runs into the end of the day or drops off the open, like, you know, you don't really know exactly what's going to happen based off of that. But as soon as that action's already starting to happen, you can see where it's trending. So like, you know, skills ran one day huge and then it ran a second day. So that means it'll probably like that was a really, really good piece of news because Think about it, it's just buying versus selling, right? People are continuing to buy it for multiple days, which is just showing you how much they like the news. Um, so that's just what I look for all the time. But I always like to trim options that are like for this week or next week, a couple days before the end of the week. Like I don't really like to hold things into Friday. I like to take trades on Friday, but I don't like to be in stuff on Thursday into Friday because premium just dies a lot of the time unless your market's way up in the morning mm-hmm. or way down if you have puts. So you told me once you never eat lunch. Uh, Do you eat dinner? And more importantly, when you're thinking about stocks all the time, have you ever had a dream or a stock nightmare? And if so, please share. Yeah, okay. So 
first of all, I don't eat lunch. I eat breakfast, but if I eat lunch, it makes my stomach feel weird when I'm trading, so I don't. Uh, I definitely eat dinner. But what I have to say about that, Avi, is 100%. I mean, dreaming is just based off of what you've seen, right? You can't dream a face you've never seen, which is kind of crazy. So you can't dream a stock you've never seen, but you can dream what a stock could be that you've seen. So like, yeah, I'll have like, I'll think about stuff so hard that like I've been dreaming about like Fiverr and then you know, Fiverr did the run. I was dreaming about Beam. Cause I, I just like think about it so much before I go to sleep that like it's in my head, like as I start sleeping and you just can see like, you know, the patterns connect themselves a lot closer. Like when you're in your subconscious, it really like lets you, like you wake up and you're like, I already know what to do. Cause you already thought through all the equations in your head at night. I've had lots of dreams about like Dos Toros burritos and a lot <laughs> of uh, my favorite meals here in New York. But uh, so we kind of walked through the day to day of Tony. Let's uh, break this down even further. Just kind of more so, how are you evaluating the stock? I know we've touched on this a few times in, in previous episodes, but a lot of questions coming in talking about what is your step-by-step -step process evaluating a particular stock? What's that entire workflow from the minute you hear about the stock? So whether you decide, is this a true pound? Is it not a pound? Any tools, software, subscriptions, or websites that you look at specifically? Yeah, I have to get excited. I mean, I like people are saying, oh, look at this. I'll talk about it now. RTP and Hippo. Like RTP was supposed to bring something insane public. Like, do I really care about insurance? Like, no, it's a shitty business in comparison to the other things I'm invested in. So that's instantly not a pound. Like I'm not excited about insurance at all. I don't even believe in insurance. So I, I mean, how can I invest in it? So that's like one thing for sure. Like I have to get excited about it right like we talk about genomics companies because i'm like it would be sick to have eight hands and live forever you know like cool you know cool things like that like space is going to be obviously you know, like we're all going to be in space eventually like it's just all these things that i know are going to happen that yeah like the revenue is not supposed to explode until 2025 or 2030 like yeah i like to be five or ten years early that's my mo so i'm always looking at things that are going to be happening in five or ten years i'm not buying the cloud trend right now just because clouds are already so popular like i'm not even loving the e-commerce trend right now because e-commerce is so popular unless it's like stuff like ozon jumia you know things in other countries that are still developing like even mealy and sc but like do I love Amazon here? Maybe if they do that stock split buyback and dividend finally, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing for me is I need to get excited about a company and it has to be in a stage where I can feel like I'm getting on the wagon and the wagon's just starting. Like it's not at the end of the race, like we just hit the kickoff. And so that's what I like to be in. I like to be in early so I can know that I have a direction and seeing where the stock's gonna go because it just has to hit my predictions versus are they gonna keep doing what they're doing and they're already valued at what they're doing. So I like to do it before everyone on the street is saying, you know, wow, SRAC is a $100 stock, duh. Like, yeah, I'd like to, I, I know that already. So that's why I'm in that now. So there's stuff like that, that I need to get really excited about. But the only way that that can ever really happen is a, it's completely revolutionary world changing. And then you can completely disregard valuation. And I genuinely mean that watch like, I get this all the time. People are like, Oh, you're crazy. Like you think space and like genomics are going to be the biggest industries in the next 10 years. Yeah. Until quantum computing just takes over. Like besides that, you're what people are like interested in freaking payment processing. Like, yeah, go get a visa or a MasterCard. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to pay for that in space? Like, you know, like it's just like levels to it and it's way cooler. So that's the first and most important step. Like you can almost compare that to the Avi indicator of like, I like skills because it's a cool ticker symbol. Like the I LMA. Gotta I got to chop in here. For, so you mentioned Jumia, which I love. Obviously, that's my baby. But uh, you forgot pins. That doesn't get you excited that those amazing earnings that just popped up? Yeah, no, pins killed it, but we already knew it was going to kill it. And that's why it kind of sold off after it popped. Like, all that, like, I think that's priced in. And like, yeah, we had pins at 30. It was cool at 18 when I was first in it. 
like is it cool at 80 now like 50 plus billion dollar company no like you know these SPACs are coming out of one or two billion dollar valuation and I can get a 10 bagger on half of the ones I pick like I've missed no SPAC so far so why would I even look at Pinterest and that's really how I feel about the entire market like I can only take conviction trades like Fiverr now because I know I'm gonna like make a huge return on that and then right back into exactly what I want, which is building my Chim alphabet through SPACs. And after I like look at and like how excited I am about that company, then I have to look at like what kind of company it is. Like I said, space or genomics, I don't care about the valuation. But if it's something else that has comparables, that has already, you know, like it's meant to have profit and rev kind of business because it's already a little bit along the way, then I look for like if you don't have 50% growth, you're not in my portfolio. If you don't have the potential to have good margins, you're not in my portfolio. If you're not throwing such an incredible amount of money into R&D and like CapEx and like stuff like that, you're not in my portfolio. Like you have to do things that are innovative all the time. And if you screw up, if I think I could do a better job than the CEO is doing, I'm out. All right, Tony, no one's perfect. I know you're damn close, but uh, I'm sure you've made <laughs> some mistakes in your life. You know, have you had any mistakes? And, and more importantly, how do you learn from them? I always say you either win or you learn in life. And so- What's Tony's take on this? Yeah, when I was in college and I was going through all my trades, I decided that I would go through literally every bad trade I had and figure out why. I even ran data and I was like, okay, what's my average return on every stock I trade? And I was like, okay, I crush Amazon. I suck at Netflix. And you know that personally, Avi. So it's like, I don't touch Netflix. And now that Amazon's run so much and the premiums are stupid, I don't touch Amazon. But... I stopped touching Netflix for years because I knew I wasn't great at trading it. And so there's some stocks you just don't, you don't trade well, or the stock itself doesn't trade well, making it harder for everyone. Even if you're good at like picking where it's going to go, the, you know, the premium doesn't work well, or, you know, it's got too big of dips that you can't really get great risk reward. But whenever I make a mistake like that, I write it down and I think about it all the time. Like, I think people like to focus on the good. And I obviously like to live in the good and, and like make that be the biggest part of what I'm doing. But your mistakes, like your weaknesses are infinitely more important than your strengths, in my opinion, especially in this game. Because if you get something that, you know, if one of your weaknesses causes you to blow up, or if one of your weaknesses makes you go on tilt and everything, like it doesn't matter how good your strengths are, right? Like if you break a knee, you can't play football. Like you got to protect your blind side, right? I'm throwing all these Super Bowl puns and I don't even I watch sports. I thought you were a sports guy, Tony. Right, I'm not, dude. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, you know, it's all about making sure that you pick up those inches, right? It's like, you got to make sure those mistakes don't hold on to you. It's pretty much similar patterns of the things you make mistakes on. And they're all, I think they're really similar for a lot of people. And we've covered them in episodes before. But I make a list of the things that I am bad at. Like one thing I'm bad at is like I stop doing is constantly adding, like averaging down on stuff that I don't want to average down on that doesn't have that much time to expiration or on a stock that I don't love, love, love. And one thing I stop doing is chasing stuff. I wait for everything to come to me because things that come to you are better than things that you chase sometimes. And especially in the markets, like if you chase something, you're going to get that FOMO and then you're going to say, I either don't have enough or I have too much. The second you buy a FOMO trade, you're feeling like shit. So I prefer to just get ready to buy it at a perfect level. And that's a mistake that I had to learn by getting on that day trade call I talked about last week. And then of course, like mistake is not going through my DD checklist on companies. And I don't do that ever anymore. Like I make sure every company I talk about is perfect. And that just takes hours and hours of work. And like you learn what works and you learn what doesn't. You learn that companies are valued based on, you know, the average of like 10 to 25 sales or whatever it is, depending on how good their margins are, depending on how innovative they are, depending on how much they change the world. And, you know, some things are way higher and it might be worth it. So 
you have to understand that context is key and that's like a mistake and not really a mistake but it's one you can make a lot that you have to very very much so take into consideration we got another question that i actually love they're asking what percent allocation of your portfolio when you pound a ticker each week what percent are you guys putting in yeah, I mean, just because I pound something doesn't mean I always buy it. Uh, like we talk about this is research, right? This is just companies that are the ones that are hitting FinTwit, the ones that are just having a you know, SPAC merger or getting some great news. And we just provide research for you guys to make your own investment decisions and do research yourself, you know, know what to look at, because it's a lot harder to make great money in the markets by spending infinite amount of time looking for good companies. And so we just try to bring those good companies to you. So some of the names I talk about, I get in, yeah, obviously, like you know, after I talk about it on the pod, but it depends. Like it's all just the same percent. It's not based on, you know, this ticker, that ticker. It's based on the entire bonsai tree portfolio strategy that I talk about, right? So everything gets the same percent as I talked about in episode 24, um, but it just depends on why I'm giving it that percent or if I'm looking at it long term or if it's becoming, you know, a short term options or a longer term leap option strategy. It just depends, you know? And like I said, those strategies are anywhere between one and 3% for those little leveragey things. And if it's not leveraged at all, and by the way, leverage does not mean margin, it means like using options. And if it's not leveraged, I could take a bigger position because it's less risk. So it just depends, right? It's a gradient. How do you enter stocks that have ran like hell? I think I certainly have been victim to this. I see a stock, I'm like, I want to get in on this. I want to get in on this waiting for a red day, that red day never comes or the red day is very small and doesn't get me excited enough to throw money in. But you know, how do you enter stocks that have ran like hell? I don't. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't make that mistake. I know everyone does. And sometimes I'll chase something if it's just starting to move up, right? Like if it's a new SPAC merger that comes out, and it's like 13 or 15, whatever, like worst case, it's going to go to 10. I'm fine. And I doubt it will because 87% of rumors are true. So I'll do that. I'll chase that because I know it can go to 30, 40, 50. But it's very different than me like buying Fiverr at 280 here. You know, I like buying Fiverr at 204. I don't love it as much at 280 because A, the premiums have gone ballistic and B, I've already caught the 80 point move. So, you know, my risk reward here is less. The more a trade works, the worse of a trade. If it's a good company, the worse a trade gets, the better it is for you at that time. And that's only if they're good companies, in my opinion, that you still have conviction on long term. Because the more a stock runs, it's obviously bound to have a pull off or a base, you know, just letting off some steam. And then the more a stock dives, it's eventually going to turn if it's a good company, if the market's holding up. So you don't need to chase stuff. You don't need to be entering stocks that have ran like hell, like you said. You know, I enter when I see opportunity. If something's up 40% in the day, unless it's like curing cancer, I don't see an opportunity really. So I wait, I like to buy like one share or 10 shares or something as a marker just to watch it if I want to get in it later. And if it just keeps going up, like whatever, I'll just sell that like one or 10 shares. And if it gets down to a nice dip level, it's because it's on my screen, like right in front of me and I own whatever 0.001% of it and let it come in and then decide to take a bigger position if I still like it there. All right, Tony. So let's take a look at like the inverse of this, you know, with that Fiverr example, when do you know when to trim? How do you trim? How much are you trimming? Yeah, I mean, so it depends to me on how much I'm making and how much I still have in the position. So I really just trim based on how big that position's gotten. So I took like a 3% or maybe like a 2.5% position overall in those Fiverr calls, just because I was thinking, man, like, I mean, this is a banger. If it hits like they're 5X, that's 10% of the overall account, like perfect. Like it's all I need. And it happened like that. So I was thinking, hey, okay, well, 
the best thing for me to do is to just sell at levels. So I start trimming when it moves up and I'm like close to a double, right? So I'll sell a little bit. And then I got lucky or like, I would not call it luck. I'd call it, I got in and then someone else saw the opportunity is that Motley like pumped them up again on that Thursday and the stock ran from 240 to 280. So naturally I'm dumping stuff at 270 range just to make sure like the, the, those options went from eight to 40, right? Like I'm taking off at least 20% paying for everything times two, right? Like if I go to zero, I give no shits because I've already doubled my money and now I'm just letting it ride free. And then instead of trimming more of it, what I like to do is like sell high premium. So on big moves like that, I don't do spreads on long-term options because premium comes into all the calls on that line versus when the options explode because Fiverr ran 80 to 280, the 330s on Fiverr were like six or seven. So then I just short some of those against my calls that are 240, right? Like I make myself a nice 90 point spread and basically I sold the 330s for pretty much the price I paid for the 240s. So it's absolutely impossible for me to do anything but triple my money already. You're just talking to options. We had a few options questions coming in here. Talking about when do you buy stock, you know, either at the money, out the money, in the money. How does that process look like in your head when you're making your decision? It really depends on how long I want to hold something, right? So if I'm just buying like weekly calls, I like to do it like close to at the money, slightly out of the money. But if I want to hold the stock that's like down a lot, like, uh, like, Intelia or like, you know, maybe Jumia when it was down or whatever, I'll do some in the money leaks because the stock's small enough that they're cheap. And instead of like doubling it when the stock goes from 50 to 100, I'll go three or four X because the in the monies go from 20 to 60, 70. And then for setups that just look incredible that I know can snap back extremely fast. And maybe it's a higher price stock like Fiverr. Like that's when I add those earnings premium and put size on. And I actually did one, another one of those last week for a different stock that we probably will be talking about in a few minutes. We've made some uh, blackjack commentary. I mentioned this next subject we're going to be talking about. It's kind of like being the end person at the table for blackjack. We're talking market orders. You hate people that do market orders. I want to know why. Yeah, I mean, dude, you don't have to ever do a market order. I think a lot of people are either lazy or they just don't understand that when you do a market order, it's not like a fair market price. I would never do a market order on anything unless it has like the tightest spread ever. So that's the problem for, I see a lot of people like, I've seen some crazy prints on stocks because people market ordered and got the worst fill ever. Like some people paid like eight bucks for CMLF warrants because they market ordered. So don't do that. And I think people continue to do that on things like options. They pay above the midpoint. They'll pay pretty much the ask, if not higher, when they market order a liquid option. So don't ever market order that. You know, do the midpoint and then take your bid up a little bit and get your fill in between the bid and the ask. You know, don't just market order it because you're lazy. I'm telling you, it'll pay off better in the long run. And the same with warrants. Like I see people, I I trade a lot of warrants now. And I see people just like market ordering a few thousand warrants here and there. And then those things like will print 10 or 20% higher than the price of the warrant right now. And I'm like, A, you screwed it up for everybody because now they're printing at that price. And B, you screwed it up for yourself because you overpaid and they'll probably just correct. So don't do a market order because it's very, very unlikely that you'll profit from that versus just doing a limit order you know, in comparison. All right, Tony, let's get into some stocks here. I know a few people have started to write off Nanox. There was a little concern here with the FDA not officially approving Nanox. Does this change your approach? And talk to a little bit what actually happened with the FDA because it didn't 
100% not approve it. They just said they need more info. Yeah, so all they said is they needed more info, which is very, very common for what Nanox is doing. Also considering how revolutionary and innovative what they're doing is, if they didn't think that Nanox had anything worthwhile, they just would have cut it off right there. They just said, okay, good luck, good try, thanks, everything, don't come back, you know, we're not going to be here all week, we don't have any veal. But they didn't do that. They're like, come on through. Yeah, we got a pool party in the back. Grab a Celsius. Just give us some more info. We'll see what's happening. So that's what I'm excited to see because you want it to continue to provide information. And it's not like they're behind. Like they're not like back to the drawing board. Let's try to make another device to get FDA approval. They're just like, well, okay. Like, yeah, I like what I like what I'm seeing. Let me get a little bit more information and we'll see. We'll figure it out and see if it works for us. So that's what you want to see. And that's so common in stuff like this. First of all, it ran crazy on that like short covering thing on the whole market. So people were just getting out of shorts and some people were shorting it. Nanox and other stuff, of course. And that made it run up a lot in that week. So I think it just got, it just corrected back. Like, think about it. It's at where it was a Friday ago. It's not really crazy that it went back down. Also, it's still right where all-time highs was before that crazy run and it looks like it'll probably go back to 100 and way higher like you see this fda is going to happen i think and when it does it's going to be a 100 200 plus stock all right tony thanks for letting us explore your brain and understand your world as a trader but as we all know people come to pounding the table for nothing else but the pounds right and speaking of pounds we did mention that we were gonna twist something up beforehand but we are not talking about weed for all the marijuana connoisseurs out there. We are talking about twisting something else up, Tony. So what is that? It's going to be something that you definitely do not combine with weed at all. If you do, I'd be shocked. But it's twist biosciences, right? We are so pounding the table as much as we can on the genomic sector. I think it's one of the most insane opportunities in terms of how cheap all the combined market caps of this entire sector is. You know, it's like Zoom is pretty much worth the same as all the genomics companies combined, if not more. So that's absurd to me, even though we use Zoom every day. Like, I, how can I use Zoom if I don't live to 150 or 200? You know, and it's absolutely one of our favorite sectors, the genomics sector. So we pounded everything in between this bad boy. But of course, there's some ones that we just let slip through the cracks. We obviously love CMLF. That's my favorite SPAC of all, just because I know that this sector, in my opinion, five or 10 years, like you're going to be wishing that you were paying attention to the moves here. Same with space. Like I saw a poll on Twitter the other day that was like, what do you think is going to be the biggest thing in the next 10 years? And people weren't saying space or genomics is like the number one without question. People need to put the bottle down. But when I'm talking about CMLF, we, lo we love SPACs, we love genomics. That's why it's my favorite. And we've pounded one of their main members of the deal, right? NVTA, Invitae. So Beast Company, that's a pound for years and years. And we've yet to pound another huge part of the deal which is Twist Biosciences. So that's they're also on the board for that SPAC deal. And I love this company thinking of it as a pick and shovel, but also as one of the innovators that rides alongside its competitors, which are also customers of them, and has pretty much limitless use cases. So they have these four big revenue streams. Most importantly, they're a leader in creating synthetic DNA that's written on silicon chip platforms. And so that's sold and provided to a ton of other companies that manipulate and change them, like Biopharma, NGS, Synbio, CMLF, whoa, whoa the Jinko Winko. So much money is into R&D and CapEx for this thing, and that's exactly why it dove on earnings, and that's exactly why it should have ripped on earnings. People have no way of interpreting how stocks move on earnings. It blows my mind. So you see this thing is creating the factory of the future. Building it this year is said to be operating by 2022, it's going to be a 110,000 square foot facility in Oregon. It's going to double their production capacity. 
So that's called growth, 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 growth. So Emily LaProust, the Twist co-founder and CEO, said that in a statement, the factory will allow Twist to serve client populations in the biotech sphere that it simply cannot with the company's current production capacity. So that sounds like a supply problem because there's too much demand and the sector hasn't even started yet. Okay, keep that in mind. The factory allows them to support the increasing needs of their customers as they scale globally and plan for aggressive growth into synthetic biology and biopharma market segments that they cannot serve today. So why the hell did they sell this thing off 17%? Let's tell you some more about why this company is amazing. Cloning. How, how many times have you heard about a cloning stock or anything related to cloning on the market that's actually making moves? So Twist launched clonal-ready gene fragments, which provide customers with a complete offering for genes. That these best-in-class gene fragments that have adapters and also don't can be used to build perfect constructs and minimize the time and cost of screening for perfect clones. And then the resulting product is just ready-to-use gene fragment that is compatible with so many applications for cloning gene and protein expression pathway and enzyme engineering and enzyme optimization so, so we i'm not an epic clone ourselves and then we could go yeah. and hang out on their saturdays and sundays exactly like, so the, they'll do, do the podcast. podcast right, right. and we can just right, trade <laughs> that reason well, alone then, double pound i hear yeah i mean they're just doing so much too you know they're gonna have problems with demand continuing they already have it now and people are like well they're you know their revenues that profit margins this and that morons this thing doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they're building it out. It's like it's like saying Amazon wasn't profitable or Tesla wasn't profitable. And we've seen how wrong those value schmucks were. So they work with Neogene to study CAR-T and TCR therapies. That's for cancer patients. They got a Microsoft partnership for possibly DNH storage panels as a replacement for cloud data storage. That's just freaking mind-boggling. I don't even know the metrics of how that will work. And then they also have this Beyond Earth partnership to launch artwork stored in DNA into space. Literally, just like, remember what I said at the beginning of the episode, the thing has to be super cool. I don't even know what that looks like. I had to go on YouTube and like watch a bunch of stuff and that was amazing. It's just it's so cool. And then of course, one of the biggest beasts in this entire game itself this year and honestly the last few years Kathy Wood said nothing other than that twist fell 17% Friday because their earnings beat top and bottom line estimates. And 2021 revenue was in line, but their gross margins are going to decline. So it sold off, but it's for them to build this factory that they absolutely have to. The demand is just not able to be kept up with. And that's actually going to improve their margins so much later on. And the growth in the synthetic biology and liquid biopsy space is just going to keep exploding over time. So they're going to have to fill that huge supply that's just going to keep going. And with their data-driven approach, they are the best in class. Like, Kathy Wood single-handedly created the genomics industry. This is her third largest position in ArcG, and she literally owns 15% of the whole company. Can we go back to the art in space? <laughs> what yeah. does that even mean? Dude, I, I'll show you a video. So I, I was, like, mind-boggled when I first read this. I was like, is this the right company? And apparently, in order to store the artworks in DNA, Twist is going to digitize and convert like the binary data that would make up that piece of artwork into the DNA bases that are represented by the letters A, T, G, and C. So That's they're going to be synthesized with Twist silicon-based platform and then preserved in a specialized capsule. So it's literally like... You know, like those, uh, what's that? What, like uh, the Zoe 101 time capsule. I'm just thinking like a message in a bottle. Whoever sent those, they ain't shit anymore. <laughs> like yeah, these guys, this, this these guys is, on a different planet, literally. They're literally on another planet. And it's insane. I mean, like, that's the cool factor that we talk about. It's like, 
they're just doing this. It's like, why does Musk sell flamethrowers, right? So people didn't like that they did a secondary also, but the CEO said that they strengthened their balance sheet with $324 million in cash through that equity offering. And when you're a company that's doing the most insane revolutionary stuff and really like one of the big pick and shovels of an industry and getting in there really, 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 really deep and integral, you need cash to grow. You need cash to continue innovating and expand. And obviously what they're saying shows that they're definitely telling the truth, right? The CEO said, our factory is focused on offering a business-to-business solution for multi-site institutions and a full launch of our next-generation sequencing solution. Duh, that's incredible. In addition, they anticipate out-licensing their first internally generated antibodies and continued progress for their DNA data storage business. I mean, this thing is literally on the, the, the forefront of all that's, it's like a pioneer. Like I, I love companies that are doing stuff that not everyone's specifically doing in that specific way. And then other people will have to use them because they're making their things so ubiquitous and universal. So they have $600 million in cash right now, which is plenty of them to keep doing R&D and build that factory. I think they said it's going to cost them like 30 million or so to build that factory of the future. And then they think that their R&D is going to be 60 million. So that's, that even shows me that they're smart, right? Because they're spending twice as much to think about what to build versus building what they're going to use to build. So I mean, that's, that's the whole point right there. I mean, that's what Musk does. Like he always said, it's, the, it's harder to build the robots that build the machines than to build the machines. So that makes a lot of sense. And that's not all they're doing. I mean, they shipped products to over 1,500 customers in the first quarter of 2021 versus 1,000 in the same period last year. Their new synthetic RNA controls develop, validate, and verify tests for SARS-CoV, of course, which is huge. Like, so they're also, yeah, they're a testing play. I mean, that's, they, they're just in anywhere that you need to be, right? And they supplied the CDC with custom versions of their synthetic RNA to be used as a test to be able to actually identify flu A, flu B, and COVID at the same time. So, I mean, this is like one of my favorite concepts to think about is just what will change the world and how much the genomic sector will actually impact that. And if this company is the one that's like supplying a bunch of these companies with the actual like specific bio material, which is different than BLFS, but this is why I love this company so much. And I mean, it's down 20% on that report. That's absurd to me. Like that should have been 250, not 150. So I'm very long twist. I think I'm just going to create this genomics portfolio and this SPAC trim alphabet and right off into the sunset. And speaking of SPACs, Avi. The mini Kathy. I love it. If Kathy's pounding it, you're pounding it. Give it the triple pound. Tony, let's jump into the SPACs. And a lot of the pounders are actually teasing this name out and, and hoping that we were going to talk about this. And so it was uh, kind of a shit grin on my face as I was like, yeah, we might be talking about this. And sure enough, <laughs> here we are. It's been a while since we said SPAC attack. Mini monsters may even be coming back here shortly. Definitely miss uh, making some funny uh, noises there. Just First do it one. once for the people. Just do it. Just come on. Just say this is a mini, mini monster. Monsters. Do it. Beautiful. All right. Now you can now you can talk about it. All right. Tickle 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 symbol. Ticker symbol is H-O-L. Holicity. They're looking to merge with Astra, which is going to be the first publicly traded company on the NASDAQ that's launching into space. So when we were talking about getting highs, Tony, Pound Nation needs to get their heads out of the gutter because we simply meant we're just going into <laughs> space. Come on. Right, so Astra's a startup. They make small rockets to send satellites into orbit. Their CEO is quoted as, this transaction takes us a step closer to finding our mission to improving life on Earth from space by fully funding our plan to provide daily access to low Earth orbit from anywhere on the planet. So again, as always, we're looking at the management, right? So taking a look at their CEO, 
Chris Kemp. He came from NASA, the executive office of the president and OpenStack cloud software. Their CFO, Kaylin Brennan, she recently came from Amazon, Arista, and Calyx. And this is the third privately funded company in history to reach space in any orbital capability. So you've talked about this nonstop, obviously an insanely huge market. We have no clue what any revenue projections are going to be, right? What this company does is they leverage data for space services, modular spacecraft platform, a mass-produced portable launch system, and a global spaceport footprint, which I had no idea what they did. You mentioned that's kind of like a runway for spacecrafts. Uh, and they have all this technology infrastructure around that, right? You shared this information that they were three years faster than SpaceX to actually do their first commercial launch. I love the space industry. Like I just, I, I'm literally sitting here right now on Zoom recording this with you. And I have a background behind me that's in space because I'm excited to see what the hell happens. I can vouch. <laughs> right. And you, yeah, I mean, and you want to be behind the horse that has the chance to run the fastest and go the distance. And so we talk about the space plays that have actual use and actual projections. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of random shit companies that hit the market. Like a lot of these EVs are crap. And a lot of these space companies might be crap too, but the ones that hit the market first and they have that strategic partnership with people like NASA, right? Like Astra got awarded the uh, NASA Venture Class Launch Services contract for NASA CubeSats. So they're working with five government customers. They got a billion point two in the pipeline and all the stages of their like five point multi rev stream plan are set to be done by 2025. And like, yeah, okay, it's four years away, but it's not just going to be like, wake up one day, it's all done. It's going to, you're going to see the progress from now to then. Like if I were to tell you in 2014 or 2013, that Tesla will be a thousand dollar stock in 2020, which I did, you'd be like, that's insane. That's just so soon. Like, how are we going to transition to EVs? Get with the program. Things happen faster than you think. Just think the market thinks three, six months ahead. You better think five, 10 years in the future if you really want to be accurate. And I love that this is not just like an idea, right? They already have 10 plus customers, 50 launches in the backlog, 150 million in contracted revenue, 100 spacecraft backlogs, and they're crushing. I mean, the technology infrastructure for them is huge. Their Astra OS links critical processes across development, manufacturing, test, launch, and finance. And of course, just like with SpaceX and any of the space companies you're talking about, like Blue Origin or whatever it is, it's all about, you know, getting to space and being successful on that launch, right? Like SpaceX just had a rocket blow up too. And Astra's actually had two failed attempts in the past. And last month they had their almost perfect third attempt, but the test flight, so it successfully reached the right altitude. It just failed to reach that orbital velocity. So it was falling back from orbit. And that's okay. I mean, like they can still improve on that. It's not like everything just blows up all the time. And what I really like is that they're continuing to try and it's not getting them off course, right? Like SpaceX had to do how many launches before they got the reusable rocket working properly. So for me, it's just about the potential here. I think there's a really small handful of companies that have the potential and have actually the ability to invest in right now that are pioneering and leading the space. And I think if you're not considering space as one of those potential, I mean, it is literally the last frontier, right? So we've digitized and gone into every possible industry that we can in the US and in the world. And I'm sure there's more, but I'm talking about like big picture. We haven't even touched the surface. We haven't even scratched the surface of the sun, literally. So I think we will. Like, if you don't want to be an investor in things that change the world, that's fine. Turn my show off. But if you, if you do like it, then, I mean, this is like one of those industries that is the top two for me. It's space and genomics. Yeah, that's awesome. And what I'm most excited about is being on your show. I didn't realize that this is your show. So appreciate <laughs> oh, yeah, you yeah. having me on as a guest, Tony. <laughs> 
Very nice of you here. It was actually 4D, Avi, because since we're like, we spend too much time together, so we're like the same person now, it is technically our show, whether it's mine or your show. A few more questions here to wrap up the show, including some tax tips and how you kind of first became a good trader. But before we wrap things up, I know we didn't talk about a lot of different uh, stocks here on this show. So any other names, I guess, just to kind of keep an eye out here in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, Avi, I'm always looking for good names that have gotten beaten down and destroyed for really no reason at all, right? Like, so Unity had a great quarter. I've actually been looking at Unity and adding to the position because it's down so much. And I know that it can so quickly go and run 30 points, right? So when the market's running and everything's up 5 or 10% a day, that's when I start to trim out of those things that are going up 5 or 10% a day. Build that bonsai base, get some cash ready to load up some cheap warrants and some leverage like options later on. Yeah, like things like Editas, things like CRISPR that have not gone yet, right? I'm just accumulating those over time and waiting. And Fiverr, you know, went really, really quickly. That's great. And there's always going to be other names that become in that position, right? So Unity just had that earnings report dove a lot. Twist had that earnings report dove a lot. There's no reason for them to be down. Yeah, sure. Maybe things are getting caught up to their value. But regardless, if everything else is still at a higher valuation on average, the things that are getting revalued will also get revalued again back higher unless the entire market comes down and does that you know that multiple compression but it does not look like that we have rates till 2024 i'm sure we'll have dips and i'm sure we'll have rips on the way but you know in the market that's going up 5% on every name every day 10% sometimes 20% you got to look for that opportunity like that good position that hasn't gotten explosive yet that you know you're not going to lose as much on because you're entering it already down from where it was at the highs. I like a lot of those names as well. We did have quite a few people DM us and make comments about, give us some of your tax tips, right? So I know you've been an epidemiologist, you've been a pilot, a radiologist, and a genomicist, and you are definitely not an accountant, and neither am I. So first and foremost, all the pounders, definitely go outside and, and get yourself a good accountant, especially if you've been trading a lot, something you definitely don't want to do manually yourself. But uh, Tony, I know this is probably a tough question to, to answer, right? Since everyone has their own unique situation, but I don't know if you have any tips or any guidance at all in terms of at least how you approach taxis and that'd be great. Yeah. I think the way to think about taxes is to think about them every single day. Like last year, I wasn't really focused on my taxes. I was just trying to get that gain. And that was because my dollar amount was much lower, but now that it's grown larger in terms of like what I'm managing every day, it's very important to think about those long-term gains, at least in a percentage of your total gains, right? So I actually realized that I do about 40% short-term gains to 60% long-term. And the long-term gains are a lot of the time through warrants and SPAC units and such. So those are actually nice because you can hold those for years. And even if you redeem, like if you get a cashless redemption on your warrants, or if you split your units and get X number of shares, you don't pay taxes until you actually sell those shares because it's just a transaction. So that's like one way I'm thinking about it is I'm trying to build my Chim alphabet through long-term gains. And I don't care how many short-term gains I make because those short-term gains will hopefully just be a small percent of my total gains. And that'll be the reason why I have so many long-term gains. So you think about it as adding to the base. That's the whole point of it too. The tax part of adding to the base is a crucial component because the more money you have in long-term that you don't even have to sell, the more you can compound it at a later date. And I'm always talking about, yeah, like who cares about taxes if you're making X and X percent. I do agree with that. But in this market, there's a better strategy to actually continue to compound your gains and get half long-term, half short-term, or any mix in between. I mean, there's also ways that if you're just holding stocks or holding leaps and you want to like lock them in, you can. 
you can sell premium against them to get those little short-term gains. And like, you don't have to worry about if, you know, if Avi, you have a hundred shares of CrowdStrike, if you sell an in the money call, you can pretty much leave it there and get the cash out and use that cash. And so you can hold that for a year, pay the taxes whenever a year is up. And then if your uh, in the money call goes up or down, whatever, it's short term, and it's not going to be that much bigger than the entire gain you had if you bought crowd near IPO. So that's another thing to consider for sure. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I was of the same notion, right? Like the tax man is your friend. If you're paying taxes, it's great. But I do, of course, want to add there, make sure you do save some money on the side because the tax men will come calling and <laughs> not want to be held with that bag. So we got a question here around when did you realize you were a good trader? So that insinuates that you are a good trader, which I'm still questioning myself here, of course. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, but when did you actually realize that you could do this full time? You didn't need the corporate job, as they say. Okay. I mean, I do things backwards than a lot of people. I started with options and then I went to stocks, right? I do things the hardest first because I'm stubborn or because I just don't give a shit and I want to try it out and nothing's going to stop me. And so the situation here for me was like, I did not know I would be able to do this full time and be a good trader until the last 12 months, until I picked myself up out of the March drop and then crushed it from then. And of course, people are like, oh, well, what happens if we have another drop? I am ready, readier than anyone and have ever been. I am so ready to catch that down. But that's because I've had that experience over years to see my accounts get blown up many times, to see me go from being super rich and ordering $100 sushi to being broke. And so like, I know the difference and I'm never gonna have that happen again. The only thing that's gonna happen is like better and better. And that's by making sure you keep the bonsai tree in order and keeping it perfect. But I, I, it's not like, when did I realize I was a good trader and I could do it full time? I didn't give myself a freaking choice. I sent it. I went all the way in and I said, whatever I'm going to do it, I'm going to either win or die. And that's how I do everything. So it's a tough question for me to answer because I don't think of life like that. I think of it as, can I do it? Yeah. Am I going to do it? If I want to, can I be the best at it? Depends on how hard I work. I think the question of, you know, did you realize you're a good trader could do it full time is not necessarily asking the right thing. It's like, when did you feel comfortable in yourself to think that you can take on any challenge? Because trading is not just trading. Trading is anything, right? Do I think I could quit right now and go start a tech company? Sure. Do I think I could quit right now and run the best restaurant ever? Maybe. I mean, I chef a lot, but like, actually, I think I could do anything I put my mind to. And I think everyone should believe that too. So when did I realize I was a good trader? I realized from the day I was born that I could do anything. And I hope everyone does too. I love that. And you still owe us a cooking show. By the way, it's coming. Our, it's coming. I'm getting Twitter the ingredients sourced. Yeah. <laughs> that did not forget. Tony, you're embodying 50 cent right there. Get rich or die trying. So talk about your goal from last year's gains, right? The average hedge fund return, I think 9.3% is what I wrote down here from January 1st. Tony, you're up 150% on the year. I feel like we're being obnoxious and bragging all the time, but this is real, right? And so why do you not call it a day and, and wrap up your year? Like, what is what is the thing that's driving you every single day? One word, more, mm -hmm. more, 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 more. And it's not more as in like, I need to get super wealthy, so rich, I can buy a helicopter. No, it's that I love this game so much that why the hell would I stop? And I got to give a huge shout out to Joey Salitro because he literally tells me all the time. And I'm like, you know, when's the number? When is it at? And it's just never, it's just more. Cause you know, we said this before on the pod, every day you start at zero, you've made nothing, you've lost nothing. You are where you are. So 
it's like yeah up 50 up 150 percent on the year i'm actually up nothing right now i'm not down anything i'm flat right in my head and that's the way you got to think about it it's like where do you get the best cagger from that specific time that specific second like you don't got to get excited i don't even get excited i'm like good okay i'm doing okay i got to keep going and that's the way to think about it and yeah i mean i'm am i being like very very precise targeted and taking really strong percent move changes that can like work out really well for me sure but like have i missed a bunch of trades this year yeah i've missed a ton of trades i've actually lost money on a couple like i've lost big money on a couple of trades and that's okay because it's all about your average it's your net net shout out to smarter trader again it's just all about how much you end up at the end of the day and at the end of the week in the month but once again mm. like if you think every day you start at zero then you'll end up better at the end of the month like i know people have these like i want to make 10 percent a month like you will never make what you think you're going to make up higher or lower it's just like you're not going to be able to get like you're like i can target and create this allocation that i'm going to make eight percent or ten whatever it's all crap like look at all the other funds they're like i'm targeting eight percent risk parity no like shut up like you have no idea what the market <laughs> you have no idea what the market's going to do to you you have no idea if tomorrow we drop 800 points or if no tomorrow like no idea if tomorrow we rip a thousand points like it has you have no idea because i don't and no one else does so just i'm never going to wrap it up i'll wrap it up when i'm dead you can throw me in a coffin but until then i'm going to be chugging like i'm going to be pounding the table Tony, this next question reminds me of this old adage saying that a rising tide floats all boats. Someone is asking, how do you know that your strategy is working and you're not just a beneficiary of the market? Uh, trick question. We all are beneficiaries of the market. Like no one's going to do this well in a down market. I don't give a damn who you are. Like that's a huge point to understand that we are in the single best bull market I've ever seen. Granted, I'm 23, but this is insanity and i mean people from 99 people from like all these other crazy rally times are calling this that and they're you know it's very different we've talked about that before it's not the same bubble situation in that terms i don't think it is at all i think i think there's obviously sectors that have way too much money and way too stretched multiples but it's not like one of those people are like com comparing it to like the 2000.com bubble where you could throw .com behind anything and it goes up a thousand percent like it's not the same situation here these companies have real revenue real multiples real earnings and so yeah, the rising tide does float all boats. Would I be crushing this hard? Would you be crushing? Would anyone be crushing this hard if the market wasn't so incredible and there wasn't such liquidity and the rates weren't so low? No, hell no. So the first thing you have to understand is you got to play the environment that you're in, play the cards you're dealt, right? If you get, you know, pocket aces, you better win the freaking hand. Like, that's it. That's why I'm getting 150%. Because if you get pocket aces, you have no excuse but to win, right? Then at the end of the day, it's just like, whatever. Someone might get a royal flush, whatever. But at the end of the day, your percentage chance to win that hand is so much higher. So the market is giving you like 90% odds on the table. You play every hand until it stops working. And then you regroup. You've got the bonsai tree and you're chilling. But yeah, 100%, this is a part of the market being so insane. And when it gets worse, then you'll see who the best traders are. But I have a feeling that the ones who are going to be the best traders in this market are, are not necessarily the guys who are up 100, 150% right already. I think that there's a big difference between being up a ton when the market's ripping and being up a ton when the market's dipping. And people really, really have to understand that there's different strategies for different times. Right now, we have the foot on the pedal, right? Like, you, you will know when things change. And it's not going to be some little sentiment. It's not going to be this and that. It's going to be an actual structural, political, or like administrative change. It will be something tangible that you'll know, shit, okay, 
gas is off the pedal, like calm down and things are going to be different now. But right now, the rising tide does float all boats. So enjoy the sun for a little bit, but you know, make sure you got sunscreen on because it can get really, really hot really, really fast. Feeling like Steven Spielberg right now, the way I set up these questions, because the next one is saying, how long do we rip for, Tony? How do you strategize on these pullbacks? Yeah, so he- here's the big thing. I think we're going to continue to rip. I mean, I did. I called Tony Tops, right? Avi loves saying that, but I called that the other day when GameStop and all these things were going insane. And sure enough, market dropped 150 points. And then I saw GameStop stop going up and a bunch of the other ones started crashing. And then I called Tony Bottoms. So that's how I do it every time. Like you got to plan. Last podcast, we talked about how important it was to catch those market cycles. It's freaking crucial. So now I don't, I mean, we went higher than we were before. So anytime you get a pullback, you get right back to the highs and you go over it. That's very bullish. Like what I, gun to the head, 4,200. Like that's what I would say if I had a gun to my head. And and I've been saying that too, like since sub 3,000. I've been saying 5,000 since sub 3,000. Because the environment just is the way it is. Will things change? Always. Just be prepared. Tony, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and we are doing a Pounders giveaway that you guys saw on Twitter. Wanted to take a moment to introduce a special guest, though. One of our Pounders had reached out to us. who's working on a really, really exciting company. Basically, it's Skills meets DraftKings meets Robinhood, I guess, before this week. Uh, and it instantly appealed to me. The app is called Ball Street. It's really this hybrid that helps my degenerate addiction to sports gambling and, of course, the stock market. I was pounding the table so hard at Tony about this app before I even responded back to the app company. And Tony is not a sports guy, but Tony, you love this app. Can you share a bit about it quick? Yeah, man, I always tell you how much I hate sports betting. I have no edge, right? You put me on a blackjack table, I'm in there. Put me on a poker table, I can play. Put me in the market, I can play. But I cannot put together a DraftKings lineup to save my life. And we always talk about the sports gambling sector and just like the betting sector as a whole, right? We talk about skills and DraftKings and all these huge changes are going to be happening in this industry as this legalization all over the U.S. happens. So what better way to kick off Super Bowl weekend which I know you're way more excited about than I am, Avi, but I'm in it this time because of Ball Street. Uh, then bringing on the CEO of Ball Street himself, Scott San Emeterio, to share an exciting partnership that we're launching together for the Super Bowl. Uh, so Scott, glad to have you on. Can you share a little bit about your background? Of course, introduce to Pound Nation what Ball Street is and pretty much like let them know how cool this is because I believed it the second we were talking about it. Guys, this is awesome to get an opportunity to talk to you guys and talk to all your audience. I have been listening to you guys for the past couple of months. I remember after buying Flying Eagle, then searching who was talking about it online, finding you guys, and then doubling my position. So this week has been a very good week, and I have you two to probably thank for that more than anyone else. Right there with you, man. (laughs) Uh, My my background is in finance. I spent 13 years at Credit Suisse on their fixed income trading desk, specifically MBS. I was on their subprime desk from 2007 to 2010, so was there to get my kick in the teeth and figure out that a life in financial services probably wasn't going to be for me going forward. Um, Like you, I'm not really a huge sports better. I feel like I never had that edge and never had control. That being said, I played online poker literally every day back during the boom. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Ball Street was how do I give control back to myself while I'm watching a live event? So Ball Street really is just a real-time prediction market that lets fans compete against each other while they're watching any live event. We let fans basically trade win probability in a completely peer-to-peer market. So folks, Tony's literally on the app right now. You just made your uh, username Table Pounder, is that correct? 
Yeah, I changed it to Table Pounder. It wasn't as cool before, but I like it a lot more now. But I mean, I, the, the thing I like about it, though, is this like liquidity aspect and this like almost binary winning bet percentage that I, I like when I, I go to DraftKings, right? And like I was trying to do these contests and I like have no idea who to pick. And it, honestly, I still don't understand how I can even win versus here. It's like a very liquid market where you can decide, do I want to like buy shares of this side or sell shares of it? And it's like real time. So it's very cool that I can actually trade it as it's happening. And I think you were saying some cool things of like the number of times people can actually trade. Like it's actually interactive. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like live betting, but constant live betting. So based off, like, especially with basketball, you're going on different runs. You can then get a very good price on the team that's losing, right? And in football, you know, things can change very quickly with a fumble, right? And so it is super exciting and you can, you know, literally play along with the game, which is something I actually love. So Scott, if you can introduce what we want to do here for the Super Bowl, just share a little bit more around the rules uh, and then we can share some of the prizes that we're going to be giving out here for the Super Bowl. Sure. So the market trades basically zero from 100 with shares of the winning outcome expiring at 100 and the shares of the losing outcome expiring at zero. Our market making algorithm basically recreates a price every one second. So they're really is limitless liquidity, unlike the in-play experience you get on a DraftKings or FanDuel. Basically, you're betting on commercial breaks because the risk manager isn't giving you those available lines while the run is going on. They're waiting for the break in action to reset everything and then ultimately see where they want to make their own specific market. Um, you know, latency in this new era of gaming is always going to be a constraint. And our mm-hmm. product is really trying to break free from that by allowing this peer-to-peer experience to basically define what the market should be. For us, it's really about creating an approachable video game experience. Remember very early on, we tried to describe it as E-Trade meets NBA Jam. We want this to feel fun. We don't want you on this thinking that you're on a Bloomberg terminal or literally trading on E-Trade. This should be something that is easy, intuitive. You're in, you're buying, you're selling. There's always a bid, there's always an ask, and it's up to you to basically make the right decisions on who you wanna get behind. So for Sunday, We got Mahomes and Brady. Where do you want to go? You can change your mind literally whenever you want on every drive. You can get behind each of these guys. We're going to be doing markets for the actual winner of the game. We're going to be giving away $120 prizes all for free. And then with you guys, we're going to be running actual markets for every touchdown that's scored. Um, And those get really volatile, especially when you have a drive go from the 20 down to the red zone. They get stalled, kick a field goal. Markets don't like field goals. And you see teams trade from 90 down to 30 real quick. Oh, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I'm always looking for arbitrage and getting those quick volatile movements. Like, And I love that it's not like I'm placing a market order. Even though I am placing a market order and getting it, like the difficulty in market orders in the market is that I'm not getting the best price versus like this constant liquidity and this like minute, the second to second changes in the actual line is the entire difference between a good app or not. So I'm going to have a lot of fun on the Super Bowl because usually I just put a thousand bucks on the Cowboys and lose and that hasn't been in forever. So yeah, this Sound is like going to be a lot different for me. <laughs> right? yeah, that's like the one, that's what made me stop sports betting forever. It was like, <laughs> I put a grand on the Super Bowl or, or for one of the games for the Super Bowl on the Cowboys, lost it all. And I was like, I have no idea what I was doing. And so, yeah, I mean, now I can see the bid. I can see the ass. I can trade around intuitively on every drive. That's going to be something I'll be doing with Avi. Yeah. And Scott, this is going to be free to play. Is that correct? This is totally free to play. Uh, We just want to get as many people on the app, get as much feedback as we can as we begin to really roll out and try to launch things in 2021. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming out throughout the year. We have March Madness, the Masters, Major League Baseball. Um, We're going to be looking really to focus in on esports this year. So 
there's really no end in sight for where we want to put these markets. It's just more of a question of how do we find people that enjoy this type of analytical thinking to live events and how do we continue to improve the product really? Super excited about this, Scott. How do people download it? Is it a mobile app, obviously? And then is there a website link you can do? And, and how can the Pound Nation actually get involved here on the Super Bowl? Yeah, we're available however anyone wants to find us. We're in the App Store for anyone on iOS. We are in Google Play if you have an Android. And we have a web app. So if you want to go to ballstreettrading.com, there's a link that will take you if you want to play on your laptop. But otherwise, in both app stores, if you want to download jump on both markets for the winner and the first touchdown are already up. So feel free to jump in tonight, tomorrow before the game starts. But as soon as kickoff hits, volatility goes up and things start to really get fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to have to be live tweeting this or something because I'm just like slamming the bucks right now. And I have no idea if that's right or wrong. So you're going to have to lead, you're going to have to lead pound nation through the Avi locks trades on the Super Bowl. So I'm going to hold you to that right Let's here, right it. now on the pod. Yeah, let's do that, actually. For Pound Nation, we'll actually set up. That's a good idea. We'll, we'll set up a Twitter thread where we can start posting our picks throughout. It'll be fun. Everyone can get involved and start commenting on each other's picks there. So love it, Mark Scott. I was going to say markets run hot, especially when you're buying the team first down, first down, first down. That pick six goes the other way. Markets trade from a six handle down to a four pretty quickly. So hold on. Oh, love man. It. Love <laughs> it. Love it. So, again, cash prizes. It is free to play. We're super excited. As always, we're not here to promote anything that we don't love. We genuinely love this. And even Tony, who doesn't like sports, loves yeah, this dude, app. So. I actually am on it still. Just like trying to like – I'm actually just trying to get my edge on here. So let's see if I can get <laughs> – Good at sports betting, Avi, using math. All right, Foundation, we're super excited to play the Super Bowl with you on Ball Street. So keep an eye out for the link on Twitter and on email. And thanks again, Scott, for coming on. We're super pumped about this. No, this was great. Super excited for tomorrow and super excited to continue talking with you guys. This was great. Huge fans. And uh, let's all make some money. Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to win? We got to get that from you. I mean, my money says KC is going to roll, but my heart is with Mr. Tom Brady. Yeah, you can't bet against Tommy Touchdown there. Fantastic, Scott. Thanks so much. Later, boys. Thank you. I could not be more excited for the Super Bowl now. I got another degenerate thing to play with uh, as I watch. And we can do it together, Avi. And we get to do it with Pound Nation. So I'm hyped, too. I'm pumped. All right, let's wrap this baby up. We got earnings this week. Twitter on Tuesday, after the bell. Quick name Boom. drop for your blog. Uh, Zillow on Wednesday. Datadog and Cloudflare on Thursday. Tony, it is time that we end the show, but the end is going to be everyone's favorite beginning because Tony's going to share a bit of knowledge to really keep you thinking here over the next week, the next month, and the next several, several years. I've been doing a lot of thinking. I wake up now, I check my phone, no anxiety. I see that the market's just pretty much most of the time doing exactly what I'm thinking in my wildest dreams. And it's just a lot of optimism and euphoria right now. And I understand because that's the condition. So that's why we're playing it so hard to the upside because you always want to hit the press, you know, when it's hot. Like this is this is when you're doing the stuff that is going to possibly change your life. And so you take the opportunities, but you always protect yourself. You don't want to let yourself get blown up. You want to make sure you're always in that good risky position because if you can, you know, grow that bonsai tree then you're chilling in a beautiful forest at the end of it. And no matter what happens, you know, we had this question, like my girlfriend asked me, when things slow down, am I going to be able to make as much money? I think that the answer is yes. Like, I think you'll be able to make very, very good money. And the key is to compound it to get in that position to where you don't have to move the needle and percent that much. And then you're still living the peakest of life. 
And that would be the coolest situation to be in if you control your risk and you do well now and you take properly sized shots for yourself while controlling your risk. Because, you know, I've never seen anything like it and I have no idea when it's going to end. But I don't like to be one of those guys who calls the top top because it never those guys get whacked. And so I'm very optimistic. I ride the wave until I see it, but I always make sure that I land on shore and then I'm chilling on a beach. So with that being said, Pounders, have a great week and go chill at the beach. <laughs> Drip on a honey, you say less, that's me. Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves.